0: Welcome, people of Earth. This is Chris Bass. Welcome to the Sounds of Space podcast episode zero. We have liftoff. Well, it's been a hectic couple of weeks, the upshot of which is that the podcast is no longer part of my master's project, giving me the freedom to direct this spaceship wherever and however I so desire. So in this episode, it gives me great pleasure to present a special tribute episode. 30 years of the label that put Australian techno music on the map, Juice Records, with Juice artist and label head Damien Donato was my guest. But first, again, thanks to every one of you who listened to the three prequel episodes. Shoutouts to new listeners in Kiev City in the Ukraine, North Holland in Amsterdam, and the cities of Holland and Grand Rapids in Michigan, home of the jazzy, groovy trio Normal Mode who call their music lo-fi space travel. Also to Camberwell Southwark in London, home of lo-fi pioneers This Heat, whose self-titled debut in 1979, with its spooky, eerie, electronic soundscapes, inspired a lot of space music explorers. In fact, shouts to the US in general, where I'm picking up a lot of listeners. Also some vinyl news, my space-based remix of the track So Fly for hip-hop group Decades is now available on Turquoise Coloured Vinyl, 7-inch single, from the Bandcamp of Seven Sales Records. Get in quick. At the very last minute, I decided to break the interview with Dames across two episodes, which is why this one's been delayed. In the re-edited version, I'm greatly indebted to Dave Barnett who's running a YouTube channel called Frequency Response TV, where there's some great clips of the Adelaide scene in the 90s. So thanks to him, and also the interviewers Stilgarian and Daisy Knight, whose long-running and amazing show, Dreaming Daisies, for many years introduced me to so much great electronic music deep in the night. So big thanks to those people for the sound bites of Mike Banks and Richie Horton. And now, Earth humans, I bring you 30 years of Juice Records, Adelaide's Techno Rebels. Friday night in Detroit, Michigan, the Motor City, the home of techno music. The city sits on the Detroit River, right on the Canadian border. Chicago, the birthplace of house music, is a -a four-and-a-half-hour drive to the west, and New York, a ten-hour drive east. The techno music of today was born here, influenced by Chicago house, New York electro, and the Western European electronic body music of the 1980s. But like many modern music forms, its roots are Afro-American. But where did the term techno music originate? Juan Atkins, considered to be the godfather of techno took the term from the work of futurist writer and philosopher Alvin Toffler. His book, The Third Wave from 1980, identified a developing breed of techno-humanists called the techno-rebels. Juan Atkins started using the term in reference to his group Cybertron formed in 1981, releasing the 12-inch alleys of your mind backed with cosmic raindance that very same year on Deep Space Records there's much argument as to whether this is the first Techno record. To my mind, it's the bridge between Electro and Techno. Juan Atkins himself is very famously quoted as saying, I don't separate Techno and Electro. Avoiding that argument, there's a popular notion perpetuated in the media that the track No UFOs by Model 500 in 1985 is the first real Techno track. Whether you buy into that or not, at that time, model 500 was an alias of Juan Atkins. Maybe it's just a case of where you draw the line. The Bellevue Three are labeled as Detroit's first wave. Juan Atkins, Derek May, and Kevin Saunderson. But in fact, there were also many others making music inspired by the influential radio show personality, the electrifying mojo. The Bellevue 3 fits a certain narrative, in that it is almost universally quoted as having them as the inventors of techno. But as with all music history narratives, if you scratch at the surface, it peels away to reveal a bigger picture. With other influential and important figures, like Eddie Foulkes, who was part of Deep Space with Juan Atkins, and many others playing their parts as well victims of this history of convenience that somehow also discounts Jeff Mills as being present during the first wave of techno, which he certainly was. Regardless, it is important to recognize Detroit as the epicenter of the amalgamation of sounds that became techno, the forebears of which came up in the mobile DJ scene in the early 80s, in crews such as Deep Space, Direct Drive, Audio Mix and Audio Tech Sounds. The kids were mostly from the northwest, west side, and east side of Detroit. And as they were young, and there weren't many clubs anyway, they would rent halls and throw parties. Setting up in backyards during the summer, placing them outside the Detroit curfew, set in place by the automotive industry, to make sure their employees got to work on time. I don't want to downplay the role of Germany. A lot of the synth-based music that inspired Detroit came from Germany and elsewhere in Europe. Berlin certainly played its part with the Hard Wax Record Store, founded by Mark Ernestus and Dimitri Hegemann, one of the founders of UFO, who also opened Trezor in 1991, a club that also helped shape the future sound of techno. Down
1: near Trezor, you know, hot, sweaty, uh, dark, messed up. It was a perfect environment for us to spread the virus so we just you know we
0: went down there and uh, you know, some some mean things happened man berlin was the first outside scene to embrace the music coming from detroit in fact dimitri Hegemann has been a kind of cultural ambassador to detroit in more recent times lobbying for the removal of the night curfew and for the temporary use of abandoned buildings for artistic pursuits, small businesses, and club licensing. But this episode's story takes place on the other side of the planet, some 16,000 plus kilometers from Detroit, in my home city of Adelaide, South Australia, some 30 years ago, when a young kid called Damien Donato, excited and inspired by the sounds of Detroit's so-called second wave, Started buying records and going out clubbing. And, in the early 90s, when his friends started making music, he got the idea to start his own record label and began formulating his city's version of techno. The Sound of Adelaide Juice Records. As my ship touched down at Damien Donato's studio, it's midsummer in Adelaide. The heat is stifling. It's a compact room where Damien sits amidst a giant letter U of electronics and keyboards with no computer screen in sight, nor an air conditioner. And over the many hours we spoke, the temperature spiraled. Known as Dames or Demers or DMZ, this is a man who, whilst not a fan of the current state of the music industry, has lost none of his passion for the music itself. As we sat down, I had to get the mics running immediately, as Dames was in DMZ, DMC mode. And as they used to say, it was go hard or go home. I asked dames about those early days in Adelaide and about the early nightclubs in which the local scene sprang up in the late 1980s, which is also the story of how we met Carmelo Bianchetti, Housemaster Cam, HMC, the late night tough guy.
2: Before Metro was BPM at the Curry Street Tavern. Mm -hmm. And I can clearly remember, I used to go to La Rocks when George Vegas was the DJ there. That was when it was the indie scene. You know, So you'd hear The Cult and Violent Femmes, yeah, The Smiths, has, and uh, all that music. Did go yeah, here in
0: the time, time Tunnel.
2: Yeah. And uh, my sister used to go to the Toucan. So to not cramp her style, I went to the La Rock's. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, she didn't want me at the Toucan if she was there. So I used to go to the Rock's. Techno wasn't around, it was just acid house or house music. I was always going to all the record shops looking for any of this music that I could find, and I ended up in Soul Man Records. Little guy behind the counter, and Italian of italian back heritage, so we had some kind of connection. That was Cam, you know? So, met him in the record shop buying S-Express. And then, so anyway, I left La Rocks one night to go to this new club that I heard that was playing house music, and got in there, there's that little guy from the record shop. What's he doing? He's pushing pushing the record. What's, what's staying in time, you yeah. know? Because George Vegas didn't mix like that, I'm sure he tried, but it was never that neat. No disrespect to him, but... Cam was beat-matching. Cam was beat-matching. Yeah. And the songs that I... The music that I was collecting on record that he was obviously getting at the same time were all in time as one song. My eyes just went wide open. So BPM was really where, it, for me, the movement started, but the same people that ran that moved it up to the Metro. Metro was where it really all began, where the melting pot of dance music came together, uh, especially for me and my friends. And then a little bit later, La Rocks turned into a dance club and became really successful with more, it's probably a bit rude to say it in this way, but more of a suburban crowd versus like the inner city crowd of Metro. That's kind of how you'd, if you had to decipher so they had a difference.
0: So a club night called Future, didn't they? La Roche. Yeah.
2: Because I used to go to both. I was, I didn't have an allegiance to anybody. I, yeah. My friends were always at Metro, but I'd go down and, because I worked at Central Station, so I'd know the DJs from everywhere and I'd go to all the shows. La Rocks was the place that made me feel like I was back in England in 89. Which was like rave culture, kids on E, and you know an explosion of dance music. That's what the felt like. Whereas Metro was like a celebration of the music and that, but it was a little bit more, bit more cosmopolitan. Control obviously when, so I mentioned before Cam they didn't want techno at Metro anymore, and Gary Hughes or Uzi, he was like DJ from the he started a night at that venue, which I think is Enigma Bar now, if that's still going. But that's the same venue, yeah. And so, and I oh, would get gigs there. That's where we launched Hundred Percent Juice EP, right? And um, it was that kind of mix of people that followed Cam. You know, the more alternative crowd that followed him from Metro, and the kids that would be at La Rocks, merging at Control, which made it something different again you know, and most people were there because they wanted really out there music, and that was the place that you were going to get it, you know, and it probably only had one summer of success, but it was like significant, you know, big sound system, small room, jam-packed with lots of people, and the music was just perfectly timed for that moment.
0: It was really, it was like someone turned up the turbine. When I was new to techno, the Detroit artists seemed like a bit of a mystery to me. But when I read magazine articles and they started running down their influences, I was surprised to find a lot of them were the same as mine.
1: If you want to say musically who we were influenced by, we had a lot of influence, uh, Kraftwerk, Yellow Magic Orchestra, uh, Brian Eno, George Clinton, James Brown,
0: I started thinking, if these guys are into the same stuff as me, maybe I should listen.
1: I also love grunge music. I like, you know, Danzig and Black Sabbath and all of it because I'm just a mere human. I'm a guitar player, you know. I was a studio musician, and uh, Jeff Mills, of course, was like a wizard on the
2: radio.
0: When I saw those influences, I thought, these are my guys. Yeah. (laughs)
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Well, look, I I grew up on... Depeche Mode records. My sister and I, anything that came out with Depeche Mode, we bought it. We were into the full new romantic music scene out of the UK. So for me to find that Detroit sound wasn't like some out of the ordinary thing because... You are already headed there. I was already headed there. Um, But they did it in a way that was... well You still heard Depeche Mode in the nightclubs and stuff, but... Yeah, they just did it in that new way. Mashed up in a way that was so new. Hard to describe, but it just sounded so new. All those musical influences, you probably can't live in Detroit and not have those influences. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen those dance shows that they used to have on TV in Detroit and Chicago. They'd just play songs and people would dance to them and that was the TV show. Yeah. You know? It's it's a different music culture that we didn't have here. It was a very different scene. We were still battling with Barnsey and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And any indie music was an alternative club where the weirdos went.
1: And now it's time for more music. We used to think David Bowie was cool. We had all kind of different color heroes, George Clinton, Sun Ra. We had so much diversity in the radio, it was reflected in the city. That's where Detroit techno really comes from.
0: There's a description written by Dames in 1991, a label founded on our interpretation of American, British and European dance music and an ideal of commercial obscurity. Our purpose has always been set firmly on the future of music. So I asked him about the different influences of the US, the UK and from Eastern Europe.
2: My, the most influential time for me for the US was obviously Chicago house music because it sounded, when I first heard it, it sounded like really old music with gospel voices. Right? But it was at the same time, it was really new. So it was a real odd music to hear. All right, so well, why does it sound so old but It also sounds like something I've never heard before uh, because it had, you know, more the gospel thing and I hadn't really come across gospel vocals in my previous music life.
0: Speaking to Damien, it becomes clear very quickly that Underground Resistance, or UR for short, were a massive influence. I myself am a fan of Underground Resistance and label head Mike Banks, otherwise known as Mad Mike. And it's very much the same for Damien.
2: The most influential time for me out of Detroit was not the originators, even though they opened my mind and I loved the music. When Underground Resistance came, because they put social words with power and powerful music to it. So it had this real urban black toughness that was confronting. Techno
1: is a lot deeper than the dance. It's, it's like Derrick May said, beyond the
2: dance. Techno or underground music is a universal language. Sounds and music that just spoke to me. And then with people like Mad Mike with his dialogue, which is today, if you ever hear his radio interviews, he's still, like, number one. Like, number one. What you watch
1: and what you hear does affect you. So you should be careful with what you watch and what you hear.
2: The UK, well, for me, my sister was living in... London in 88 and writing me letters of the clubs that she was going to at the same time that I was reading NME magazine and seeing the pictures, alright, so the acid house movement. So I, was, I went there in 1989 and I was there for three months with my sister and I saw the unravelling of youth culture, so it was very different, it was like only in my mind had I seen what was happening in Detroit, you know, what I perceived through records. Yo,
1: man, it's like any other big city, man. It's got it's got the good, the bad, and the ugly in it. If you just listen to the music and then lead the people out of it, you might get into these sounds if you just use your ears and not your eyes.
2: But what I saw and what I witnessed in 1989 was this youth movement. One other very typical thing of Europe is when we went there in '94. Doing record deals and that kind of stuff and we went to this club called cherry moon in belgium i think it's called it's a pretty famous club right? and i remember being in there and everyone was dressed pretty straight so it wasn't like the craziness of like the uk in 89 of kids in big t-shirts and going bananas with 3000 strong in a room it was people and it was really kind of straight but the music was full-on electronic and it just dawned on me then it's like this is just natural music to them this isn't even out of the ordinary music it's just part of their makeup whereas back here in adelaide it's like dance music was still for a few nutty ravers and not much more do you know what i mean it was still just uh uh, still an obscure type of music that people were parting to
0: they already had the First couple of waves of synthesised oh, yeah. music well, that had for, come for before. For 20
2: years beforehand, mm. it had been normal for them for 20 years. Whereas in Adelaide, it wasn't really. There were things that happened here, but they were, you know, they were isolated, isolated, and you know, even isolated in, the, in a city sense. You know, if you weren't at Elder Conservatorium, you probably didn't know about it.
1: We just experiment a lot. We try and encourage everybody. We've heard uh, music here in Australia. From uh, HMC and uh, Juice, you know, and it's, it's, it's bad, you know. So we try trying to encourage everybody around the world to join in and make this music because it's it's all of our music. It's everybody's music. It's not Detroit, Techno, or Belgium. It, you know, these are all the different locations it comes from. But it's uh it's everybody's music.
0: I remember there was an underground resistance show here yep. at, the at the old, old line. line. Yep. And uh, I didn't make it. It's funny though. I talked to people, and apparently everyone was there. It was like that uh, Sex Pistols oh, yeah, gig. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Sex Pistols gig, the first one that was there was That's only right. like forty people at, and yet there was like uh, ten
2: thousand people <laughs> really had been there. Yeah, yeah. But that was a big show. There was there was eight hundred people there. So you know, and the scene was probably only double that size, but. that's how many people were going out. But there was 800 people there, I I remember the show. They used my gear, they lent our music gear. Yeah. Yeah. So for us, it was just like idols touching our equipment.
0: That left an impression in Adelaide. Like There were people talking about that show for a long time.
2: They went back to the States, blown away about the scene in Australia. They just couldn't imagine 15,000 kilometres away from Detroit that there was 800 people ready to party to their music. They couldn't believe it. They couldn't even believe that there, there was a label there. At that time, they just started traveling all over the world doing lots of shows everywhere. But I think the fact that it was Australia, which is back then, was probably the furthest place that you could go to from America, I think it left a pretty good impression.
0: We are pretty far away. Yeah. All right, cool. <laughs> I had to mention that.
2: Well done. No doubt.
0: The Juice catalog is a bit of a spider web and for clarity, I asked Dames to run down the artist names of the Juice Records family. Your artist name has been Dames and DMZ.
2: Yeah, so Dames was when I used to DJ. Right? I never considered myself a very good DJ but I was just in awe of the music that I felt that I had to participate. So Dames... Um, but over the years, Dames got more technified and ended up, you know, Demez. And then it became DMZ. So, and DMZ is much more in line, you know. Dames is like this, you know, cute idea guy. DMZ is like hard future, you know, (laughs) crossing over into consciousness. If you step in there, you are in the DMZ zone, you know.
0: (laughs) You're in the DMZ. Um. Okay, and Marcus is Patty and also Michelin.
2: I was Michelin for one of the releases, yeah.
0: You were Michelin.
2: I was Michelin, yeah.
0: I thought because he had that, what's the track? Michelin, Michelin yeah, Boy? He did do
2: a, a track, yeah, but was that about you? Well, I'm not sure, actually. <laughs> I, I've no idea. But on the Mothership album, I did a title under the name of Michelin.
0: Okay. Yeah. This is why I'm asking these things, mm-hmm. you see. Theo Bambacus, he's the. He's Jack Haywire.
2: He was Jack Haywire, yeah. We kept that secret for a long, long
0: time. Right. Yeah. And Cinnaman. Yep. And azio And Asio, correct. And Cam Carmelo was Vitamin HMC. At the very beginning, yep. And then HMC, and of course these days is the Late Night Tough Guy. Correct. Rotation is Cam and Theo. Yep. And Dirty House Crew was all of those guys. You've also got Anthony Coppens. Yep. He's part of the whole fam- so, family Ant- as well.
2: Anthony Coppins and John, John Gray. Ray. Yep, they were DCE. Mm-hmm. Now, they were the first guys out of my small group of friends. They were the first guys that harassed me to listen to a demo. Right. Right, and they were from Modbury. They were contacting me from Modbury. For me back then, Modbury was like out there. What's what's going on in Modbury? You know. Sure. But there was something about them on the phone that drew me out there so i drove out there my girlfriend stayed in the car out the front of the house which was run down they were renting at the time you know holes in the wall and all this kind of stuff went in there two kids you could see that they'd been wearing the same clothes for a week and just banging on their instruments fell in love with what i heard straight away it was almost gabba but i loved it there was something about it and those two guys are still my studio buddies today yep so they're the guys that, oh, i would say if there's any artist that's like still with juice it's really those two guys sure yeah you know? and even though we don't have the catalog to prove it the music that exists in the juice archives it's their music and it's my music
0: mm. and it's you know it's the music to come it's the future it's, yeah
2: it's the future that's right
0: always At this stage, we start to run down the Juice catalog, starting with Juice 001, 100% Juice. Well, we
2: registered the business in 91, January of 92. So we've just gone past 30 years of the official release, which was HMC's 100% Juice EP. So we were obviously, uh, myself, Cam, which is HMC, Theo, who the artist's name was Thee or Cinnaman, and a few other friends uh, We're all hanging out. Cam was the DJ at Metro nightclub. House music, techno music, had been booming. You know, we kind of came together in the nightclubs. The Metro didn't want techno there anymore, so Cam lost his job. So we started doing.
0: Now, when we're talking Metro,
2: the Richmond, the Richmond, up, up the escalators. Yes, yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, yeah.
2: So they'd had the boom in 88, 89 of bringing you know, com- you know commercial house and dance music together, but once techno started coming together. The music was too extreme, and so for a while there Cam was without a Saturday Night gig. so we started doing parties at Cam and Theo's house, so they lived in Franklin Street, so there was about eight of us having our own warehouse parties. And I remember being on the dance floor, which was the lounge room, which looked like a big warehouse at the time, hearing a song and going in to see what record was playing, and it wasn't, it was cassette. And it was Cam's life support system, and I was like blown away that the song that I was loving in the other room was my friend's song. And eventually, you know, within six months, it was
0: a record. Yep. Yeah. And you launched that at Control. At
2: Control. Yeah. 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 yeah and you know, back then, Adelaide had a, such a vibrant scene, and yeah, we sold 500 copies locally, or nearly 500 copies locally which you you can't even think of selling 500 pieces of vinyl in adelaide today is impossible in australia in the world it's almost impossible there's (laughs) so much music out there it's not funny
0: yeah yeah and all of those releases had the fax number yeah on the label so important so important info for young pups a fax machine used a telephone line to send printed information If you were poor like I was, it used the same phone line that you make calls on. You answered the phone and got this.
2: Do you know what it was about the fax number? It was the area code. The area code said everything. When you hear Detroit, what area code do you think of straight away? It's three, one, three. And three, one, three, like in techno culture, is a pretty significant number. Sure. So that's what we were doing, was 618, <laughs> you know? So pretty significant. Uh, that's why the facts exist. Obviously that was the only way to communicate.
1: The way me and Jeff used to look at it, you know, like the fax machine was like a transporter, man. We could go anywhere in the world with the fax machine, put our, put our consciousness
2: anywhere, so. But um, the first record, like 100% juice, we sold our 500 copies, but we licensed it to Music Man. in which I will show you a handwritten letter that I sent to Music Man on Juice Letterhead that I had made up, they loved it, 3,000 US dollars license, the guys, so uh, Cam and Theo, that was 50% for them, they bought a DAP machine, and me, my 50%, I bought a fax machine. (laughs) I paid 1,500 bucks for a fax machine that you could not sell for a dollar (laughs) now. Yeah.
0: Both great investments at the time and terrible investments now. (laughs) Oh yeah, yeah.
2: But you know, that was the technology that you needed. You needed a DAT. DAT,
0: D-A-T, is digital audio tape. It was the first common digital format for recording high quality studio masters of tiny tape, like a mini DV tape. Oh, a mini DV recorder was what people used in the 90s to film stuff. If you were rich enough, there were no smartphones.
2: <sighs> and so this is the thing about techno, like when you come from like 80s rock music, you needed a whole studio worth like $400,000. Mm. This is what techno and dance music were doing and I was saying, well you don't need that. You yeah. don't, and you don't need to hire the studio. You make it in your room and you record it to a dat tape and that's the master
0: you know, sure. it was,
2: it really was a flip of what you would perceive the music industry to be.
0: Yeah. Was that how all of the tracks went down stereo. to get pressed? Stereo. to dat? Yeah, stereo to dat. Out of the machines? Yeah, through a
2: through pretty a, cheap a, desk. Th- yeah, right. Yeah, like a, I think at the time it was some old live Yamaha desk. Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but thing is you could, you know, gain on the, get the distortion on the, so you didn't need a dedicated distortion effect. you know, the, the game pot did enough. <laughs> yeah,
0: just like natural clipping. That's right. Natural transistor clipping. And that's why we loved it.
2: Because, <laughs> you, know, you know, music went pretty hard and, you know, distorting everything was pretty critical there for a while.
0: Info for non-audio nerds. Here's some terminology to decipher our discussions. The Roland TB303 is a bassline unit. It's the sound of acid house and electro. Even if you don't know it, you know it. It sounds like this. The Roland MC202 Micro Composer is a synthesizer keyboard, and the Roland TR909 are drum machines. And the Yamaha DX100 is a small FM synthesizer keyboard. The Roland Jupiter 8 is also a keyboard. A 16-voice synthesizer that is inextricably linked with techno. So that album has this track that everybody just absolutely loves. Life support. support. It bugs me, man. (laughs) That that constant beep, I feel without it. But then without it, it wouldn't be the life no, support no. system. That's right. I'd like it better if that beat was not filtered out. But um, it's uh, <laughs> TB 303 acid style, really, isn't it? That's
2: all it is. That and a 909. Mm. And there was a DX 100, so you had DX nine. Yeah. Yep. yep DX 100 was so, just a smaller yeah. version. Yeah. Yep. yep. Um, uh, solid bass, which is like wicked bass sound. You know, that would have been doing the bass. Well, uh, one of the bass lines.
0: Yeah solitude Mm -hmm. for me that had that train ride kind of feel just like driving ahead was kind of like craft work but more danceable yeah and knowledge kind of had that a little bit as well
2: but when i listen to that all of that music now you know i just hear the naivety of it all and I'll, i'll admit i probably have not listened to those songs for 29 years it's not that i don't like them it's just a, you know, so much other music it's has been... It's a thing been, of the past. It's a thing of the past. Sure. Just when I hear all that music, it's very naive. I, it wasn't until Mothership that was our highlight uh, of, like, making the music that we really imagined ourselves as artists to be able to make. I think, yeah, Mothership, I think, was it. That was it? Yeah. If
1: you just listen to the music and then lead the people out of it, you might get into these sounds if you just use your ears and not your eyes.
0: The next release was the first Secret Weapon 12 inch with the influence of underground resistance weighing heavy the Juice team brought out a series called Secret Weapon with no credits no track titles and a harder and more experimental sound There is
2: no Juice 002 until 20 odd years later Yep. Secret Weapon 1 was supposed to be Juice 002 but the pressing plant Put the wrong catalogue number on there. Ah, okay. I had eight hundred copies sitting in the cupboard. We only sold two hundred in Adelaide because it wasn't like Life Support System. It was more deeper and darker. We were trying to be more experimental. Mm. Pressed up a thousand, thinking, well, we did five hundred of Juice One. We'll do a thousand. We sold two (laughs) hundred. I had eight hundred in my cupboard for like six months, but I was still sending them out to people. Got a fax from What's Music in New York, who I'd sent them. Bought the whole 800. Sweet. And that's how we were able to do Juice 3 and 4, because I'd sold 800 of Secret Weapon 1. Wow. So, so then I did two records after that, which is 3 and 4, and because I must have sold them to him in New secret York Secret Weapon again. in more oh, ways yeah, than one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's very significant. There's still new Secret Weapon stuff today. They're still being made. Right, okay. But I've got so much Secret Weapon stuff, it's not funny
1: we felt that it was more important what came out of speakers than what we looked like.
0: For the inspiration, it had more of the Detroit, as you said, underground type of edge. Was that a conscious move to put that out as Secret Weapon without impacting on the perception of any of the other brands, like keeping it separate?
2: Yeah, it was like Secret Weapon was always supposed to be really intense music. It's like the grenade that you throw onto the dance floor. That's what it was always supposed to be. Might not have started out like that as Secret Weapon number one, we probably weren't there yet mentally, but by two and three, it was supposed to be like extreme music. So Secret Weapon, you can start to hear the UR influence. Yeah. Uh,
1: the tentacles are spread, you know, it's like a virus.
0: Juice 003, so that was uh, 1992, and that was what you were talking about before, Out of Order? Out of Order, yeah. A-Y?
2: One of my artists' names, Commando, with Ambush on the other side. Okay, that's you. That's me. Yeah. Okay.
0: So the whole release, to me, that album's more like sound art than dance music, yeah, almost.
2: It's, it's getting pretty experimental, yeah. But that was the UR influence. Right, okay. You know, you can definitely hear from, like, the first record to that one. You can start to hear the UR influence. Yeah. Then that out of order uh record you can really hear Yeah, oh, we're pushing out there now on like experimental music
1: the resistance is gone
2: yeah very cutting edge record um the out of order after ur came to adelaide uh robert hood came with them uh, jeff mills had already split up from ur when they came so they had another dj but robert hood was still in cahoots with Jeff Mills with their music activities Mm -hmm. he went back having us given him a record and we got a license request for out of order from Axis Records which is Jeff Mills sending us a a fax in like 19 that must have been
0: 92 still. Yep. The CD and vinyl. Yeah. I've seen the fax I I did put it online. Yeah. Yeah. You've kept all of that stuff. I've kept everything (laughs) I've
2: got like a there's a real great story. If I put it in date order, the storyline's amazing. You know, live the dream. Or every every fax that I ever sent, I've got it. You yeah, know, we've got the hard copy. Everything. Everything.
0: Amazing. So out of order, the track itself is full acid. Yep. But that you are influenced. You talked about. It's not just four on the floor it sort of like breaks down and then it's got almost a tom kind of break yeah, yeah, thing yeah. that happens before it builds back up. All of those resonant whistling sounds, is that TB-303? Uh,
2: probably a 202 in there. Okay. Yeah, so that was written all by Theo. That was off a four-track cassette, and I remember going around the next day being totally blown away by it, because he, he was very talented. He could get a recording done in a night that sounded finished right if you listen to it it's pretty poor recording but it's not about how if it was a poor recording it's enough punk attitude there that it doesn't matter yeah yeah whereas people won't do that today the amount of people that would be petrified of releasing music that come off cassette you know they just couldn't do it everyone's too aware of like dynamic range and all of that but um yeah he, he was very clever and he really pushed because it was Probably three instruments in the whole thing, a mm. 303, a 202, and a 909, and maybe the DX100. There would have been nothing. But there would have only been six inputs on the desk. Yeah. And
0: did that go straight to cassette? That didn't go via so, DAT? Uh, I can't remember. Yeah. yeah. But
2: it All of our music, I can't remember. So, it's 30 years ago, I can't yeah, remember. Yeah, sure. But
0: we went to disc edits. Right. For
2: all of that our, early, okay. Yeah, we were yeah, what we Neville, Neville's first customer.
0: Right. Yeah. We I what? didn't. I didn't know that. Yeah, so, yeah. do you know that? Like Ned was. He was a friend of mine, and he's one of the guys that taught me right, I bits didn't. and pieces about sound engineering. Right.
2: So. Yeah. yeah. Well, he was a very clever guy. I remember. Yeah. But he used to be the music. We went in there with was out of his league. He didn't know what we were trying to achieve. You know, we were just. I oh, just make it louder. Just you know, just make it bigger. You know, but was, well, there's really not anything there to make bigger. You know, but we just needed it to be bigger to get onto record <laughs> sure but uh, yeah we we were, we were went to him when he was still at Sturt Street in yeah, the yeah. LA Tape duplicated ATD and he had that little with Phil
0: yeah yeah. so that's where we went so just for the people who are listening I guess in those days there was really only three or four places that you could go to get duplication, duplication let alone masters. Master, that's right so there was ATD yeah. city dub mm-hmm. and then later on disc edits yeah Never
1: went out but more importantly you had an opinion instead of just saying hey man this stuff is some garbage I can't cut nothing like this like a lot of the big mastering houses would do
0: we've talked about Jeff Mills signing out of order to axis which it, it never went ahead
2: in the end it didn't it didn't no. but we don't who cares we got the life we got <laughs> the facts <laughs> yeah. that's all we needed it was like a seal of approval for us sure you know the best artists of the time was contacting us about putting music on his label, but he ended up, the way it panned out is that Axis pretty much became only his music.
0: And then Juice 004, HMC, first release?
2: Oh, as HMC, yeah. As HMC. Yeah, yeah.
0: So that was the Southern Hemisphere?
2: Yeah. And this is when we really started getting traction. Uh, in Europe, so three, Juice three and four were released at the same time.
0: That uh, track, Big M Memoirs. Somebody told me that that was actually about the Metro. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. That, and that that kind of has that
2: cult following. OS, that song, for the nerdy underground crew of crape diggers mm-hmm. of techno. It's got a bit of a cult following. Because again, we were trying to be, that was, I guess our first attempt to be musical, mm. trying to write music, but with the instruments that we had. Yeah. I didn't write the song, but compiling the album or the EP and that kind of stuff, that's why we went for it. You yeah. know, it was, oh, this is that musical element that we like, but it's still using all the sounds that are new to us.
0: So let's talk about dance music and vinyl for a sec. Mm-hmm. The decisions as to what's going to go on what side, yeah, it's because not, you know, not easy, like yeah. uh, the the length actually dictates how much power you actually get out of it, how much dynamic range there is yeah. on the side. So on that one, you've got a six and a half minute song on the A side and then like a seven-minute and a five-minute song on the B-side. Did you make those kinds of decisions? Definitely would have. Yeah,
2: definitely would They were decisions we would have made, yeah.
0: Okay, so on the run-out, at the end of a vinyl record, whoever's actually cut the vinyl can scribe in uh, some characters at the end, and they get stamped into every copy, and on that one, the runout actually says A2 from the southern hemisphere on the A side, and then B3 to the northern hemisphere. With respect, that really interested me because there is no A2 track, right? A2. This is almost like saying that this little thing is really important. The engraving in the runout, I've made that A2, and on the B side, there's two tracks, and then it says B3. All right before to the Northern Hemisphere oh, yes, with picked, respect.
2: you picked up on something that I do not remember. <laughs> I just thought, wow, yeah. that really elevates yeah, yeah, that yeah. little scratching. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, look, there was all those, little, all those little message things were starting to happen in vinyl. This is what I mean. There was a techno movement and it was like this deeper consciousness thing that was going on, you know, where there were, like, I guess, Easter eggs for people to, to find, you know. Mm. And the one that really... Uh, you know, I loved more than anything was when you had to put the needle in the inside of the record so that it could play outwards. So it's still spinning the right way, which we did with Alpha Delta Division.
1: If it's a forward record, we make a backward one.
2: No doubt. No doubt. Oh God, we and that one is very space orientated. And in actual fact, there's a big story behind that record, which Pretty much shaped Juice Records in more ways than one. At the time, we were pressing our records with Richie Horton and John Aquaviva. What about Adelaide? I'm
3: going to have to ask about uh, uh, that. Go for
2: it. it. You've visited
3: you, you here. You know have you heard anything before you came? Yeah, I heard all the Juice Records. You know, so, uh, that was one of the main reasons I wanted to come. I mean, to me, uh, uh, the way we have approached Plus Eight and the way it grew. Juice is like to be the same kind of thing. It's the nearest. I respect what these guys have done a lot. There's not too many labels in the last year or two which I can say, yeah, I like every record they put out. I can see where they're coming from. You know what I mean? It's always been like, yeah, well, this record's good on this label this week, and that was okay. Uh, what happened to that label? I haven't seen anything I liked on this for the last ten releases. You know what I mean? You know, so Juice has always been like this. Exactly what we've always been trying to be doing, you know, it's just pushing the barriers on each release, doing something different. So I have nothing bad to say about anything around here. I've had a great time. Meeting the guys behind the label has been great, seeing what they kind of believe in, hearing their new releases, hearing releases that are ready to come out, you know, it's been great. So, yeah, I think one of the reasons I have had a good time is because the whole, like, clan, you know, the whole Juice clan, which is about 50 people 100 people strong whatever its crazy it reminds me of like Detroit it reminds me of like where we kind of started that's plus eight it's just a bunch of friends just doing what we love to do with a whole bunch of other friends who supported us so I think that's really important so I think these guys are going to do really well
2: at the time we were pressing our records with Richie Horton and John Aquaviva pretty much the plus eight yeah plus eight one of the biggest pairings of people that you could ever try to associate with, right, and we're doing Dirty House at the same time as well, Dirty House had just started, and at the time for some reason they needed to have Made in Canada on the records, right, Uh, because they were being manufactured there, and I said, look, that's fine, you can do that for the Dirty House stuff, but not Alpha Delta Division, this is from outer space. (laughs) <laughs> right, This record is from outer space. It's not made in Canada. Right? If anything, it's got to have made in Adelaide, but I don't even want that. The artwork and the, the, what do you call them, hieroglyphic type imagery on there is supposed to be from somewhere totally not earth. They put made in Canada on there. <laughs> of course they did. And that was it. I was so stubborn. I said, that's it. I'm not working with you guys anymore. Over a this record from outer space. Dave's. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Now, they are worth millions of dollars and I right. am still <laughs> some silly independent artist. You Yeah, the techno rebel. <laughs> and that's my point. People living the life of a techno rebel, they're the things you have to do. If it sh- you, got, you might have to shoot yourself in the foot, in the bank balance, wherever it is, but that's what you have to do. No regrets. <laughs>
0: I love it, it's crazy. <laughs> Alpha Delta Division.
2: yeah So that was Theo and Patty. Right. Again it was uh, it was only a single release. The very distinctive memory I have of it is Cam and I had come back from Europe and that was the first song that Theo and Patty had played to us that they made while we were away. And I was like, whoa, this is amazing. <laughs> Cause it was, you know, deep and spacey and you know, came from outer space. That's what yeah. it sounded like. Yeah. 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 And in the end, Alpha Delta Division, I think, ended up on Dirty House, like Acid Tracks. Right. Like a sub-label of Dirty House.
0: Yeah. Moving ahead, 1993 now. So we've got the rotation EP, Juice 005. Mm -hmm. It's got a more polished sound, definitely more danceable, tough, hard edge. It fills out that bass dimension Mm -hmm. a little bit more than the records before it did. Was there some particular reason, like you'd upped your production? That was, that was
2: definitely Theo becoming... He had great ears. He was very talented. Didn't know what he was doing, but he had great ears. He's not a very technical guy at all but awesome years. It was him and Cam that did it, but it was definitely Theo's production. There there wouldn't have been any new equipment there either. It was still, we weren't putting money into buying new gear. We were still using what we had. Just learning to use it better. Just learning to use it better, yeah. Mm. yeah. Still all the same equipment.
0: So then you've got the dual rotation Paddy release. Juice 006. It's Dragonfly. Oh yeah. So we bought Paddy.
2: Paddy was a new kid that bought in a demo tape, and he was doing stuff with Matt Thomas, who was a Quiller.
0: Yep.
2: For some reason, Paddy got through the door, and Matt Thomas did too in his own right as a Quiller. I helped him out with a couple of records, but Paddy was the one that made it onto Juice. He just had some connection, you know, personal connection with us that was quite natural.
0: Dragonfly is a banger. Yeah, yeah. Absolute banger. 1111.
2: Simple stuff, like 808, 303. Uh,
0: Satellite, the speeding up. Hmm? Feels like it's sort of like headed to some ultimate destination. And that's that's the element that Paddy bought. Right. Yeah. I liked it. Uh, transparencies. Oh yes, yeah. from the outer regions. That was one of the spacious tracks. Yeah, yet. yeah. It was the
2: ambient piece. Yeah,
0: yeah. And then we have the first appearance of Late Night Tough Guy. So we have HMC and himself as Late Night Tough Guy on... Mothership, is it? Mothership. Yeah. And that was two twelves. It was a CD first. Again, this is something that,
2: like, the music industry today is so different. We did a launch at the Arca Bar, had 1,500 people there, and went home with $3,000 in our pocket. Just things that you can't imagine today. Like, mm-hmm. how am I going to get $3,000 doing what I do now? It's not possible. But back then, it was just so... The world opened up for us. But So that night, we did a live show. So that was... So this is Launching Mothership? Launching Mothership. Myself, Theo, and maybe Patty doing live and uh, HMC just DJing. But yeah, a big, massive show. So anyway, we launched the CD quite successful we now had distribution through shock
0: yeah let's talk about that for a second so back in those days if you went into the cd world you had shock you had MDS, yeah. and you had roadrunner
2: yeah that's right
0: now roadrunner did the heavy mm-hmm. stuff they did like the metal axe and whatever shock had the punk stuff so mm-hmm. they had like epitar uh beggar's banquet mm-hmm. they had death row records yeah. Knight. Ipecac, which was the uh, alternative stuff. A lot of rock stuff. MDS, they were importing a lot of alternative and dance artists from yeah, overseas. They, did, they were, yeah. They did a lot of local artists. So people that we played with. So they did Clowns of Decadence, Storytime from mm-hmm. Perth, Swoop, and mm-hmm. Fireballs. But they also had Synthy stuff. So they had Cosmic Baby, yep. Harold bluchel and they also had MDS Dance.
2: They did. That was headed up by Richie McNeil, and he, he's like the mega dollar man now, I'm not sure what he does, but he, I think he did all the festivals, and I really don't know, but he went on to be like a big player in hardware, that's where he ended up. Okay. They were the big mega raves in Melbourne that happened yeah, yeah, at yeah. the end of 2000s, or the beginning of the 2000s or whatever. That was when Melbourne really started to overtake what Adelaide had as a music scene. Mm. Adelaide was way out in front. But Richie McNeil was there at Mushroom. Yeah. But there was another guy at shock, and I just gelled with the guy at shock just that little bit better. Because okay. they had a dance department. Yeah. I can't remember what it was called. But that Mushroom. It wasn't
0: big, though, compared to... Mushroom. Mushroom. No, so no Mushroom way. had, like, As One, which is a trance label. Yeah and then they morphed into dance net as well yeah, which yeah. was huge and that was doing all of that third eye ollie olsen yeah. Wee ferris they were distributing moving melodies as well uh, you know patrick prince yeah. um yeah. I, I would have thought that you would have gone with because
2: independent all the time yeah and shock we're independent that's why i was there because yeah. i that's that was my mentality i'm not it was, i know mushroom was an independent but they were way more mainstream whereas shock as far as i was concerned they were more grassroots independent that's how it felt and that's why i was there
0: you know there's the techno rebel again that's it sweet
1: they forced everyone over to cds now whether they realize it or not
2: that mother i think we sold about two and a half thousand cds so then we were able to do the double vinyl or the two 12-inch releases, because we so that was funded from the CD, from the CD, yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. Great.
2: And then we really started to move because we we're still pressing in Australia at that time. You see, so then we were starting to, you know, ship lots of records to Germany. Now, okay. by that stage,
0: so I wasn't quite sure where that Mothership CD landed because it hasn't got the standard Juice number, mm. but it kind of makes sense to me now. That was the the funds generated for the 12s yeah big time and
2: like i said earlier mothership to me that was the peak of our music reaching the music um musicality musicality in a more traditional in a more traditional sense but still being new and alternative you know
0: so winter is not my favorite track but it's got this cool cross time thing going in it that really reminded me of what Robert Hood would do mm-hmm. So you like you've got a repeating phrase and then it'd be offset just by that tiny bit mm-hmm. you know it'd move cross time so you've got sort of like things that are actually going at a different pace yeah. at the same time. I really like that.
2: might have had something to do and I don't know because I didn't write the song but I reckon there was a Jupiter-8 involved and it was probably being triggered from a drum machine, but I know the strings were from my sampler, so it may very well have been that the trigger of the drum pattern was quite different to what was happening in the sequence of the sampler.
0: And that very forward beepy keyboard sound that's in Magnet, that would have been the Jupiter-8? That's the Jupiter-8. For sure. Okay, and then uh, also, still 1993, we have HMC, Scientific Functions, EP, Juice 008. So we have Proxima, Siphonic.
2: Pyaxis, yeah. Axis. That was Cam and I, I think, on a, just on a single Jupiter 8. Oh, okay. So that's got like a sci-fi city on the label. Oh, yeah, do you know what that's from? That's from the Akai S3000 brochure.
0: Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> Classic. How did you get away with putting that on the label? I guess it's like what you did. Yeah. It's just what you do. Yeah. Even now, you can get away yeah, with yeah. a bit more on vinyl yeah. than you can on uh, digital platforms. And then Disc Point One. Yeah. That was more of a Detroit style. On the B side, you had Siphonic, which was like it's fast-paced, but it's really heavily modulated. It's really got the sci-fi kind of thing happening in it.
2: Well, every, any producer out there would recognize the effect, and it's the SPX-90
0: Symphonic effect, which yep. is a chorus effect. And I think... So the SPX-90 was almost on every live rig. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and back then,
2: every single person that had no money, they had the SPX-90. I'll
0: tell you what, for a, what was intended to be a live unit, the effects aren't half bad.
2: Yeah. yeah. Well, I love my Yamaha gear, today. Well, as in this desk here, you know, I absolutely love it. Then 1993
0: next, Juice 009, we have Moondust 1 and 2. Yeah, one of my faves. One of my faves. That's one of my favourites too. (laughs) very spacey. Yeah, yeah. That's probably one of the most spacey albums on the catalogue. And it's got those fluttery sounds that almost sound like uh, Drexia. A little bit. Yeah. uh, It's that
2: underwater kind of feel almost. Jupiter 8 again. There's predominantly a Jupiter 8 and probably two 303s.
0: Now, is it my imagination or does Moondust speed up ever so slightly from the beginning to the end of the track?
2: I know, it's pretty bloody quick. Yeah. <laughs> it's about 160 BPM, which is a real shame. I really wish that record was 130 BPM for today. It would be a classic. Absolutely love it. The fact that it was 160 or thereabouts, it's a real shame.
0: I still think it's a classic.
2: Yeah. I look The I, journey
0: tracks, those Yeah,
2: ones. those ones. Look, I have a very strong memory of Moondust. They're, and I've just remembered, too, that Mothership album, actually, we pressed six records. It was the two uh, mothership vinyls. Mm-hmm. It was the HMC number eight, Moondust number nine, secret weapon number three, how many said that? that's five. I think I think I did six at once from that so mothership. All from
0: the funds of the mothership. Mothership, City. yeah. Yeah. It really
2: was the mothership. It was the mothership, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the 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 real, significant moment with Moondust was there was a might have been around fringe time I can't really remember but there was some interstate crew putting on a big warehouse party down in the sheds in Port Adelaide Cam was playing there no one was there for whatever reason it was empty so there I am in the middle of this warehouse with a massive sound system Cam's playing Moondust and I'm just in my element and it's like you know I'm at a party with no one but I've got my record label with Moondust playing in a warehouse all to myself and it was one of the most powerful memories I have of like just feeling like oh man I've, I've actually achieved everything I wanted as a as a music business you know it was very very strong imagery for me still today
0: Then we've got Azio Paddy, oh, uh, Carbine is it? Carbine and other Espionage. One.
2: That's the other one that came out at the same time. Yeah.
0: Very acidy, very spacey, very chirpy. Espionage sounds goth, rocky to me. It's got that European type of. It's very European.
2: To it. A lot of it was driven by Patty that one, and I'm not sure if you pick up on the um, dialogue in in there, but the sample with the voice in there is "Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope." Yep. Yeah. Yep. Obi-Wan Kenobi. Because Patty was a big Star Wars fan, you know? Giving me both. Yeah. Obi-Wan Kenobi.
0: And then we had the Outpost EP, Juice uh, 11 ASIO on HMC. So that's 1994 now. And that seems to be the only release that year, I guess, because you did so much the year before.
2: Yeah, I reckon we were just still selling everything. That's when I went to Europe and I was doing lots of licensing.
0: Catching up on the business side yeah, oh, of all yeah, the yeah, creative it was, going, it was going crazy.
2: That's when I was doing 60 hour weeks, just doing licensing deals and distribution and manufacturing, really full on. And when I try to get into the music, back into the music role today, I automatically assume that's what it is, but it's not that anymore. <laughs> it's so far removed from that. It is so far removed, it's not funny. Yeah. I keep thinking it does still exist, and maybe for someone it does, but you got to have a lot of capital to be there doing it.
0: And then Outpost 12 as well, so that had uh, Acid Thunder with HMC going hard as yeah. well. Yeah. Hightail by ASIO was a different direction too, slower, almost funkier. Yeah. I actually really like that track. So I guess the CDs also hit a different audience than your hardcore vinyl collectors, sort of vinyl yeah. collectors, and dance music heads. And there would have been a lot of dance music heads that didn't collect vinyl, that were just punters that went out to shows. Sure. And this is something that they can play in their car on the way sure. to work or whatever, or you know, on your way to anywhere. Yeah, on your way to outer space. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with those did that second one act as a funds generator for the Uh, final as well because cd's much cheaper to reproduce
2: outpost did all right i think we probably sold about 1500 back then i can't really remember but the music climate really started to change and dirty house started to take over and dirty house got all the attention okay it was a new sound again you know driven by theo obviously with cam's music still but Theo had a much more vitalised vision of light records, whereas mine was still very underground. Because yep. it was much more about the party and that type of thing, which is what it needed, you know? And
0: there was a fair bit of marketing around that as well.
2: It had all the imagery. It yeah. had much more fun imagery. It was, the space thing was gone, you know? He'll-
0: the I don't know, I, I found the, the, the spacing oh, no, no, no. Yeah, a little bit more bit of, comfortable for me because yeah. like you, you look at some of the, I remember them clear as day. They sort were pretty of like,
2: confronting, you know, sexuality type <laughs> imagery, yeah.
0: The flyers of all of these hot people lying around naked. pretty much naked <laughs> yeah. as like, I wanted to go to those gigs but I thought if I go, do I have to renounce my heterosexuality yeah, yeah. and throw my keys in the bowl? You yeah, know?
2: it was, look, it, it just had the right messaging for the time and it was all about having a good time out, you know? Whereas techno got really deep and dark and you had to be like yeah. heap stone next to the big speaker you know House stuff
0: is fun music. Like it's fun it's music. Great it's, dance yeah, music.
2: it's just all more entertainment. And it was, uh, look, I was very lucky because I was still involved. I was... Doing all the licensing and all the distribution, and but I didn't have to do any of the art creative direction, which is what I was doing more with Juice. So it probably worked better for us because there's definitely much bigger selling than what Juice was because now we'd set up with Richie, and this is the Dirty House stuff, was it the first releases that we really started doing with them. Mm-hmm. And you know, we went from a label that was maybe selling oh, a thousand units of every release once we had international distribution from Australia, to selling three and a half, four thousand, to up to six thousand of every release. And Freakin' we sold ten thousand on an independent label out of Adelaide.
0: Freakin' was heard everywhere. Yeah, that was Dirt 01, that's right. That's right, right. yeah. Yeah. Look, this this is how big it was. Fatboy
2: Slim was on Rage, holding up that record, saying, you know, this is like the best. Something along those lines. You know, but, you know ch-
0: I'd be walking on the street, and a car come down the road. Yeah.
2: <laughs> it was a big, 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 big record. His, you know, again, you know, when we talk about money, right? Because at this time, this is this must be '95 that that happened. Yep. I was still at my bedroom at my parents' place. But then I set up an office in the city, so in Weymouth Street, mm-hmm. and I had to take out a, a loan, like to keep putting money into what we were doing. And at the time it wasn't much, it was like 12 or $15,000, but 94, 95, that's a lot of money. For someone that's trying to survive from records, mm. yeah. You know? And freaking, we started selling it, well, manufacturing, selling out of Canada and you know, selling lots of units. Licensing deals started coming in. The main one for three territories, so GAS, so Germany, Austria, Switzerland through a pretty commercial dance label. We, we had to really sell our soul a little bit. It was a little bit disappointing, but I accepted that this is what Dirty House was about. It was about being successful and mm. embracing our chance to be successful. The advance for a 12 inch single for three territories twelve and a half thousand US dollars nice. you know so taking out that loan so we could do what we needed to do paid off in one license
0: yeah look man it's not really selling out if you haven't really compromised the music no at all but these were the things that we thought we had to really contemplate and I know but it allowed you to keep on putting out more music
2: Yeah. Oh, well, uh, so you know.
0: yeah and that's the point at which Cam started putting stuff out on other labels yeah, as well. Yes, right that time. For HMC, the follow-up was on Juice. That was O12. Yeah. Southern Cross. Digits. When I first heard it, very understated, moody kind yep. of piece, and I thought, "Where's the freaking guy?" Yeah. And then you got uh, Space Funk. Yeah. Which is, as stated. Yeah. And LSD, and when I heard LSD, is like, there's the freaking guy. There's the freaking guy, yeah. Yeah. In actual fact, LSD yeah, crazy was Crazy track. That yeah. I like that more than freaking...
2: Yeah. That was always going to be a Dirty House record.
0: Okay.
2: But I was adamant that it had to be Juice. Okay. Because to make that EP what it was, it had to be Juice.
0: hmm And then the B-sides like the Acid side. Yeah. It's like the Juice continuation, yeah. more familiar. Wave...
2: It's more three o three.
0: Yeah, and almost a trancey type of sound Good to trancy, that because yeah. of the arpeggio, right. repeated arpeggio thing.
2: When I was in Europe in '94, traveling around by train, you know, I clearly remember Wave on the headphones as you know on the train through Europe, listening to Wave. and you know, It was always going to be out on record. Yeah.
0: The label. More space Is from my planisphere So right. when I was a kid, mm-hmm. the first thing that's got me into outer space was this cardboard wheel. Yeah, yeah. You turn it until you can see the date. Yep. And it shows you which stars, stars will be yeah, in. This, yeah, that's and that's right. what that is. Yeah. So yep. Spun me out. Body mechanics.
2: Yeah. Yeah, again, that's basic uh, just a simple sample, I think, and a drum machine. There's not much to that. But oh, yeah, it's a very good EP. In actual fact, that was the best juice seller. That, right, that double EP, and I actually sold it over the course of three years, so it had an original pressing which must have been, it's a bit blurry, but I think, I don't know if I ever pressed that one in Australia, I think I, that one was happening through when we were working with Richie Horton and John Aquaviva, I think that's when we first pressed that, but then when we left them, I kept pressing it in America, so there was two copies of it. But, you know, I sold about a 1,000 copies in Australia off two or three years after it had been originally released. It just kept selling. Wow. You know? We didn't do much licensing for that one, whereas we'd done a lot more licensing. I think the, it had started to change a bit.
0: But by that stage, Juice has built up its direct market as well, right? Mm. The licensing, whilst it would have been good to have, probably mattered
2: less. The good thing with licensing back then is people actually paid advances. Right. Whereas today... The idea of someone sending you money for anything is ridiculous. It doesn't even happen. Yeah, we used to get really good money, right, as an advance for a single song.
0: Now one of the other faxes that you posted up came in ninety five from Mad My, Mike. Mad Mike, yeah. He wrote something about, well done, you've survived, and, you know, that's the thing. Yeah. What was he referring to in terms of you'd survived, like managed to keep the label going, or was it? Well, that- we originally pressed
2: in Australia and shipped from, you know, my bedroom, right? Uh, but Australia's pressing plant, the last one, closed down, which was Pro Music in Sydney. So they closed down, and so you couldn't press anywhere in Australia anymore. And so we had to, I had to go looking for manufacturing overseas, and that's when I ended up with Richie Horton, because we'd
0: brought him out here, his first tour of Australia, we organised that. So yeah, you were looking for ways to do it, and that's part of the message that he was saying, is like, well done, you've you, found a
2: way. That's correct. Because, you know, I'd obviously been communicating with him prior, don't know why, uh, obviously, you know, just being a fan, I must have been looking for answers for help or whatever. And you know, communication obviously stayed open. If I looked through all my faxes, I'd probably find, I'd find all the faxes that explained it all. That came for before him. and yeah, came after.
0: Yeah, crazy. So we've got 1996. We've got Patty and Asio Blue Harvest, Juice 12.5.
2: Yeah. Now this is another really, for me, again like Mothership, where we've reached like this artistic peak. And that was Paddy, produced by Theo. So Theo's production skills getting really good, but Paddy, you know, talented artist, making really good music. Love that EP, it really, for me, is one of the top ones from Juice. Blue Harvest, Mothership, HMC, Southern Cross, uh, and Moondust. They're, they're the top picks out of the Juice
0: catalog for me. Again, a new sound for them, more spacey. Almost with more of a Berlin flavour. Yeah, I think so it's a little bit digital sounding. I think it was just the cleaner. production and
2: the time. See, a lot of the early records were made in a night. They were the moment. They were made in one night, one sitting, recorded to dat. That was it. Yeah. Whereas Blue Harvest was probably using an Atari because we didn't have se- we didn't have a computer sequencer in the early days. Paddy bought that in. He had a, an Atari. Right, 1040. He had an Atari 1040, so that's probably why that EP sounds the way it does because it was had more time for it to be Could composed be and arranged. Yeah. Whereas the other music was all like in this setup, it's just freeform. What came
0: out? What came out? Mm. Yeah. THX, very space music. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> fantastic. Outpost Uncorporated,
2: 1998. Yeah, that was mine, yeah. That's you? That's me, yeah. Really started to change my perception of where I fitted in the techno movement, because the movement, it felt to me the movement was gone. And that underground message was gone and it was more about DJs going on tour and you know staying for 12 hours in the city before they go to the next city. And yeah. I wasn't part of that.
0: Hard edges being removed. Uh, yeah.
2: And so Outpost Incorporated, you know, it's like, well, I'm still the Outpost, but you know, you don't have a pass to get in yet. <laughs> <laughs> That's. <laughs> right. It wasn't a very successful record. I think it actually came probably three or four years too late because I'd been in the office so much that was my first chance to really do something on my own, but it should have been done three or four years earlier, and it would have made more sense.
1: The complexities that come with the business of what you actually create. I mean, if you get consumed by your own records, it, and then you can't produce records no more. You know, I mean, you got the phone that's ringing, it's the pressing plan, it's the mastering guy, it's all this non-musical stuff going on.
0: Now this was the one I wanted to come back to in terms of vinyl again. Mm-hmm. You've got side A and side B, mm-hmm. they're at 33. Mm-hmm. Side C and D are 45, and then on side C, you put the needle on in the middle yeah. and play it
2: outwards. It was I was trying I was trying to do everything that made it like a typical techno underground record. Right, okay. That's, Everything that it is supposed to be.
0: And almost a punk kind of influence for the artwork. When I looked at the artwork, it looked like something the Dead Kennedys would actually put out. It's a full-on storyline. Neo-dystopian.
2: Yeah, it's a full-on storyline, and it still drives everything that I do as an artist today.
0: And there was a poster in it as well. Yeah. I never saw the poster. Give you a copy. Oh, great.
2: It's uh, yeah, and that's the poster is of Adelaide getting taken out by a big Nuke.
0: Right, so that that one that's on the label, the
2: yeah, well, it's got the Nuke is actually over Adelaide in the in the poster. Yeah, if There's
1: a nice picture, we want a bad one.
2: And again, it was like because it was a vision from the future coming back. I, back then, this is a thing. I hope it's not a vision of the future. Well, this is a thing back then. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> Back then, we didn't think of like global pandemics. We thought a big nuke was the thing that would happen, you know. But it's, it's not like that anymore. Now it's like planes into buildings. Well, the funny or thing a, is, is that a virus or
0: a lot of those weapons are actually still in place. Yeah, they we are. Just, we just don't think about. <laughs> we it don't anymore. think about them. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Weird. So now we're getting towards the turn of the century, 1999, HMC Materialise, two remixes by Patty and DCE. Yeah,
2: and I think I've got one on there as well, the Interlude. Okay, mix. that yeah. Interlude, that's you? Yeah.
0: Okay. And to be honest, Materialise didn't do much for me, but the mm-hmm. DCE remix... is wicked. ...puts the edge on yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, it's wicked. Yeah. 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 After the year 2000, we have uh, 2001 HMC Marauder and Stroke, yep. which was a dual release. Dual, Dirty yeah. House.
2: Well, by then I was almost out of the game, right? And we just hanging on. It's a real shame because I probably had a lot of opportunity. If I, my heart just wasn't in it. But Marauder it became a cult classic.
0: I would have thought that that was the type of record that it would have kept you in because like marauders got that sort of yeah. like harder tech sound it, yeah we had
2: no idea that it had become such a massive hit we were oblivious so we just totally missed it because my heart just wasn't in it I was burnt out and not burnt out as in I didn't love the music anymore I just didn't want to be part of like where I saw the culture going but I still felt that my need was to I had to be involved in record production yeah you know which is why you know, I'm still making the mistakes I do today because I still feel I need to be there. Yeah like we said at the very beginning, this thing that's above me, you know some puppet master that keeps me around it, even though you know I'll barely survive from it.
0: Filling the gap where the first secret weapon would have been.
2: Is oh it? yeah, 2012. Yeah, with that HMC City Rhythm. Yeah.
0: City Rhythm and City Rhythm sounds like a sophisticated city, slick, smooth, groovy. It's a very classy album. Yeah. Sade remix on there. Yes. People would not expect it. I'm a huge. Of course, You Chade fan. You can't. I'm, How could you ignore her? Yeah.
2: Something about that album. I had been. For six years I wasn't involved in the music industry. I had a retail job. I felt my life was over. I made all my mistakes and found myself spat out from the music industry. And I was in retail in what felt like a dead end job. And that was me trying to claw my way out, having still, like with Cam, listening to his music all the time and stuff and hearing some of the newer music that he was making and realizing, well, I think there's an album. Compiled a new album and and there we go. But again, it was one of those things where you start back 2012 started to see. Yeah, the music industry is a little bit different. Mm. You know, it's just I kind of dived in, manufactured in Europe, shipped copies back to Australia. Didn't even think about doing European distribution. Had an amazing launch here in Adelaide.
0: Sits quite apart from the rest of the Juice releases as well.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, even. Like the next album, which we've just done in the last year, even more so again, but it's where I would want people to see us after 30 years of making music. I wouldn't want to sound like Juice 001 Mm. 30 years later. That would be like a, well, you haven't achieved much. (laughs) Do you know? Yeah, yeah, of course. The interesting thing with that Juice 002 was the first album that was purely software. Right. Which is why it's very clean and yeah, sure. clinical, like every you know, annoyance is where it should be. Uh,
0: and mastered by Evan James. Yep. So yep. Evan James for the listeners, he mixed my band Capital F on many occasions. He was also the front of house mixer for the Clowns of Decadence. Yeah. He did a stint at Mix Masters. And then when Mick had a studio in the city called Broadcast, like Evan worked down there, Good
2: bloke, yeah. uh, very quiet. Quiet, yep. But Evan and I are very good mates, and um, at the time, I guess, I wasn't around the new kind of kids that are doing the mastering today, and so Evan was the most logical choice. He was a good mate that I knew could do it. He did a good job. Yeah. And let's talk about DCE. Yeah. So, again, the two guys that called me from out at Modbury... And um, you know just blown away by the first thing that I heard from them. Took us about two years before we got an EP together. Did they do other artists on that label? No, it's just those guys. Okay. So it's John Gray and Anthony Coppins. Yep. And we ended up doing three EPs and a couple of them all must have been done in Canada. I can't actually remember. Now DC is just John. Yeah. And I'm not sure if he's got any of his music out there, but he is a prolific music writer. I'm sure it was all out on SoundCloud or. Yep. Whatever. Yeah, I really can't re- remember. But he has all different aliases. So he's
0: Ivy Mike. Ivy Mike, yeah. And Master Data and Digital Jesus. He'd be all of that. Charlie X. Yeah, so it'd all be John, yeah. Yeah, so the Ivy Mike stuff. I really quite liked, like Boom Boom and Future Shock. Yeah. But there was another artist on there called Fox Station Commando. Yeah, that's still John. Yeah. Oh, that's still John. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh John. You're very prolific. He is a four-line
2: technology guy. Like, you won't know many guys. Go- I'll tell you something about him. We uh, it was around 2000. I think someone's turning up. This is Anthony.
0: G'day. How are you?
2: This is uh, Chris. Anthony. No, that's no, no, that's cool. No. We've just been talking about DCE, actually.
0: Yeah, just right when you walked in.
2: Uh, (laughs) What do you know? But I was just going to say, John, in the year 2000, he created a system for uploading audio and video that was automatically streamed to the internet. He basically created YouTube before YouTube. Right. Anthony Coppins has just walked in the room. Now, this is the only album that we haven't talked about. Is the new one. Is the new one.
0: Yeah. Juice 020 is an LP by Anthony Coppins. It's called Anthony Coppins. Dames is really enthusiastic about Anthony and his music. So much so that despite the current state of the industry, he decided to reboot Juice Records for its release in 2021.
2: A lot of thought went into the flow over two pieces of vinyl, how long it was, you know, songs were cut out so that we could do the vinyl.
0: It's very different to everything that came before. It's smoother, very melodic, and both Antony and Dames have spent a lot of time, discussion and energy into making this release happen. Anthony turned up at the end of our session, so I got to meet the musical mind behind the release. He's also passionate, knowledgeable, considered and thoughtful, and there's a lot of depth behind the structuring of his music they were kind enough to give me an exclusive of a brand new track they're working on for the podcast. Dames chose this track to feature because like this podcast, it's an investigation of outer space.
2: Okay, so the song that I will give you was written by myself and Anthony Coppins in the room that we're sitting in now, about two years ago. And as I mentioned before we started, It's only just now really come to a final stereo master. And Anthony and I have talked about this song so much because for us, it feels like when we listen to it, we are in the universe. The veneer of life is gone and it's just the shapes of the music in some weightless environment, you know? So it's color and it's image of like the shape of the sound over a long period of time. Like you see, if you could look at the song coming at you over a great distance. Right, the vastness. The vastness of it. And that's, and hopefully this song's playing in the background now.
0: Well, after you saying that, there's no way I'm going to put it in the background. I'm going to play the whole thing. Yeah,
2: thank you. you. Well, it's 12 minutes, see, right? So we've talked for nearly that. I'll
0: put it at the end.
2: Yeah, but it defines what I think is out there in the universe. Once you leave your body, all right and whether you believe in god i don't i don't care i don't know what i believe in but if something continues these are the things that like you will see for that time that that your consciousness can witness it so now all of those guys you know, it's 30 years juice you know what it really represents okay i still use it as a music business and a an idea for me to release music, even though it doesn't happen that often.
1: Mm. It's not a music where it's just the artists or the producers delivering it. It's kind of a music where the people really buy it and listen to it, really give back a lot to it too. So that's cool. Yeah, it really help us stay in business too, man. You know, so that's smooth.
2: For me, Juice Rick is really about the people that have supported it and like believed in it in Adelaide. That's really what it is. It's a, It's less a record label, but it is one. But it's more about those people that are drawn to the good times that we had.
0: Yeah, sure. You
2: know, that's really where it is. And I always feel this about music and it's always been very hard for me to give up on it because I felt like, well, it was almost like I was chosen by some higher state to be here doing this. That's how I was able to find it and communicate with people on the other side of the world and then involve myself in pressing media that went all over the globe and people played it to other people so it went from my friends minds onto a record and I made it happen to get over to another place to other kids with their friends and into their minds so it's almost like it chosen by some higher state yeah.
0: transmission yeah <laughs> With a large archive of tracks
3: from Damien Donato, Anthony Coppins and John Gray, and more new music still to come, the future is looking bright for Juice Records.
0: Sounds of Space podcast in its effects and background music is written and produced by Chris Bass for Dogbox Studios. This podcast respects intellectual property. All other media is included under the provision of fair dealing, fair use, or with the owner's express permission. This is a free podcast with no advertising. So if you enjoyed it, please return the favour by subscribing on Apple Podcasts or your chosen platform, write a review, follow Z of Space on social media, and most importantly, tell other people. And remember, keep your eyes and ears to the skies. You never know what might fall or rise. A Juice Records World Exclusive. Here is DMZ and Anthony Coppins with Infinity.